0: We're going to be looking at a particular period of time that must have been pretty crazy. brief period of 40 days between the resurrection of Jesus and his ascension into heaven. I'm just going to pray and then we're going to dive straight in. Lord, we just thank you for your presence here with us. We thank you that you delight to inhabit the praises of Of your people. Lord, thank you for that reminder this morning that you lay a table before us, a feast, a banquet, even in the presence of our enemies. We do not need to fear. I thank you, Lord, that whatever we are going through right now, whatever we have been through, whatever we're about to face, we can know this abundant provision from our Heavenly Father. I pray, Lord, will you you give us a feast? continue to give us a feast, Lord, even this morning as we get into your words. We pray we'll have open hearts, open ears to hear what you want to say to us. And we just thank you, Lord, again, for that incredible mercy, that incredible love that you have for us. Amen. Amen. Wonderful. Great. So this is a new series looking at this kind of weird period of time. These 40 days between Jesus' resurrection and his ascension. And we're going to be looking at individual encounters that Jesus had in that time. We're going to be starting this morning back at the tomb, back on Easter, the Easter morning. We're going to be looking at uh, the, uh, the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. We're going to be looking at the encounter of Thomas. And also the, the recommissioning of Peter as well, right up to the Great Commission before Jesus ascends to heaven, right before them, before their very eyes. I don't know about you, I often think about what it must have been like for Jesus' followers. They must have been on such a roller coaster of emotions. I mean, don't forget, these, these people had given up everything to follow this miracle working guy drop their nets drop their tax collector job come and follow me they'd given up everything without fully knowing who he truly was they got glimpses of who he was i mean i suppose peter's confession in matthew 16 is the clearest response he says you are the messiah Son of the living God. And Jesus replied, blessed are you, because this wasn't revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by your Father in heaven. This was a a heavenly revelation. And so as they were spending time with Jesus, they were beginning to get a greater and greater revelation of who he actually was through the words that he said, through the miracles that he performed, and through heavenly revelation from God But they didn't know the full picture. And then he goes and gets crucified. What is all that about? What is going on? Just put yourself in their shoes for a moment. Your whole world, everything you have given up for, has just been shattered. Totally, totally shaken. There are probably many of us in this room who have faced situations that have turned our worlds upside down. Many of you have had the, the proverbial rug pulled from under your feet. And so you can get some sort of idea, perhaps, of what these followers of Jesus were probably going through. They were certainly feeling despair, sense of Fear. Sense of hopelessness, anguish, even anger. You've let us down. We thought you were the Messiah. So many emotions must have been going through their hearts and their minds. And then news starts to break through. So and so's seen Jesus. Have you heard? He's alive. Can it be? And you start to remember those weird little things that Jesus said, like, I am the resurrection and the life when he raised Lazarus from the dead. And you think, could it be? I don't want to get my hopes up. You know, you remember the times when Jesus had that weird altercation with the the religious leaders in the temple. He said, this temple, I'm going to pull the temple down, and in three days it will be rebuilt. My temple is going to be rebuilt. And you, You count on your fingers, three days. Can it be? And then you encounter Jesus for yourself. Incredible. Wow, Jesus, you really had us going. You know, what an April Fool. That's, that's, a, that's a corker, that one. I mean, we had April Fool, didn't we, on Easter Sunday. Very appropriate. You had us going there for a minute. We thought you had left us. We thought that was it. We're going to hang out together again. Things are going to get back to how they were oh, don't do that again, please. And then he drops another bombshell. I'm not going to be with you for much longer. I'm going to be going to my Father in heaven. And again, you must think, well, wait, what, what are you talking about? You've only just come back. We need you. Didn't you see the mess we got ourselves into just the, the few days you were gone? We were hopeless without you. You know, surely there is finished work yet to do. What do you mean you're going? Imagine what they were feeling like. And then Jesus gives this promise. I am not going to leave you as orphans. But I'm going to send you another like me, the Holy Spirit, The advocate, the comforter, the spirit of truth who will guide you in all truth. He will be your enabler. He will be your helper. You are going to complete the work through his power. You are going to take this gospel, this good news to the ends of the earth. You are the ones who are going to make disciples. And then with this promise that he will return... He goes, he goes, before their very eyes. What a crazy time that must have been. What a crazy time. And the thing we see throughout that period is that everyone who encountered Jesus was totally changed. Their lives were transformed. So let's start this journey. Let's go right back to the tomb. And if you've got your Bibles, do turn to the Gospel of John. We're going to be reading chapter 20. I'm actually going to read right through the first 18 verses, okay? There's a narrative here, and I just want us to get the flow of the narrative. It will come up on the screen as we go. So this is right back on Easter morning. John 20, reading from verse 1. Early on the first day of the week... While it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one that Jesus loved, and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb. We don't know where they've put him. So Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple, most people say that's John, outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but didn't go in. Then Simon Peter came along beside him and went straight into the tomb. Peter was always the uh, impulsive one, wasn't he? He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped round Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Now Mary stood outside the tomb, crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head, the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said. I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. But she didn't realize it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? Thinking that he was the gardener. She said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned towards him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, don't hold on to me, for I've yet to ascend to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that, she, that he had said these things to her. What an amazing moment that must have been. Incredible. And I think it is very telling that it is a, a woman that God chose to be the first witness of the resurrection. You know, in a culture where women weren't even allowed to be witnesses in court... God chose a woman to be his witness of the resurrection. Again, Jesus, time and time again, reaffirming this sense of value and worth and dignity to everyone, particularly those who are sidelined. I just think that is beautiful. You know, other accounts, other gospel accounts mention that Mary wasn't on her own when she initially went to the tomb. They had all gone to anoint the body. They wanted to show some, something of their devotion. They hadn't worked out how to sort the stone away. They were like, well, who's going to roll the stone away? It wasn't an issue anymore. It wasn't an issue anymore. I think the fact that God chose a woman also helps to to strengthen the fact that this resurrection wasn't some sort of fairy tale made up by the disciples, because no one in their right mind would have chosen, if it was a fabricated story, to say, yes, a woman found him first. No one would have done that and be taken seriously. I love the way God works, the fact that he affirms, he gives value, he gives dignity and you know what? That's how it happened. That's how it happened. I think this passage also shows that as far as the disciples were concerned, they had no expectation of Jesus' resurrection. That was it. He had died. I mean, you know, their, their first thought was, who had robbed the grave? Seeing the stone rolled away, who had robbed the grave except the most valuable part of the grave was still there? The spice-soaked grave clothes just didn't add up, didn't make sense. Even when Mary eventually saw Jesus, she still didn't recognize him. She didn't believe it was him. It must be the gardener. Why? Well, I think mainly because Jesus' appearance must have changed somewhat. He was now in a resurrected, glorified body. There are other accounts later on when the disciples don't quite recognize who Jesus is. But I think it's also because she just didn't expect him to be standing there. You know, she was last at the cross and first at the tomb. She had seen Jesus die with her own eyes. How could he be standing there? And yet he was. But we don't just have the empty tomb And we don't even have just Mary's incredible testimony. But over these next 40 days, Jesus appears to over 500 different people, all with the same testimony. Jesus is alive. And it completely changed everything. I love the quote by Evangelist J. John. He says this, If the resurrection of Jesus did happen, the implications are breathtaking. Everything the Bible says about Jesus is therefore true. God can be known as Father. Forgiveness is possible. Heaven is attainable. Death is just a short sleep before eternal joy. Whether or not the resurrection happened isn't just a fact of history. It's a fact that changes our future. It changes everything. And as we're going to be seeing as we go through this series... Lives get transformed every time we encounter Jesus. And we are living testimonies of that fact today, aren't we? The fact that today lives get changed when people encounter Jesus because he is alive. Because he's alive, we can know real life. I thought it was really good last Sunday, Easter Sunday, when Rob took us through the, the contrasts, pre and post resurrection, particularly the one being, being brought out of darkness and into the light. That was Mary's testimony, that the light has overcome the darkness. Light has overcome darkness. Darkness. And I think when, when John recounts this story, he, he he mentions that Mary's day started off pretty dark. In more ways than one. Literally, she set off before the sun had risen. But it was also very dark emotionally and spiritually. I think it's kind of symbolic of where she was at. Just a state of total loss. Just darkness. Darkness. But what I love about Mary is that she didn't allow that darkness to paralyze her or to send her into hiding, despite the risk. This this tomb was guarded. You know, they had to get around the guards, they had to get around the the tombstone. She still, there was just this depth of devotion in her. I've got to do something for my Lord. Even in his death, she still went to the tomb. Incredible devotion. Now I think Jesus gave this principle that whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Implying that whoever has been forgiven much, loves much. You know, when all the other disciples had fled, Mary, and actually this group of women, remained faithful. Stayed at the cross, first at the tomb. Incredible devotion. And I think Mary, particularly, has had a bit of a bad press historically. You know, depending on what films you watch, what movies you go to, she's often depicted as a a woman of ill repute, you know, a former prostitute. Actually, the Bible never says that. What the Bible does say is that when she first met Jesus, she was radically set free from demonic oppression. I think Luke mentioned she was set free from seven demons. She had already experienced the incredible grace and forgiveness and freedom that comes when we put our faith in Jesus Christ. She had already known that. Freedom from sin, freedom from bondage. She had experienced firsthand the limitlessness, Of his forgiveness. That no one is beyond his reach. She had already experienced the the riches of his grace. The depths of his love. She knew it. And that is the source of her worship and her devotion. Whoever has been forgiven much, loves much. If If you're... That word came this morning about feeling... Unqualified to come to the table. No one is disqualified. Jesus has paid it all. His forgiveness is limitless. Through her tears, she saw light breaking through the darkness. She saw the risen Jesus Christ. And by the time she got to the tomb, the sun had risen. You know, spiritually... Light was breaking through, physically light was breaking through. Jesus said, John eight twelve I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but have the light of life. What a promise. What a promise. And that is our, and can be our experience today. Whatever we are going through, maybe you are experiencing a period of darkness, even now period of uncertainty. Maybe you feel like you are literally going through the the valley of the shadow of death, darkness all around. The truth is, if you are a follower of Jesus, you can know this light of life. You can know the good shepherd leading you through To the other side. You know, he said, Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Again, this morning, even in the presence of our enemies, he lays a table before us. We can know his comfort. We can know his provision. We can know his guidance and his peace and his hope as we keep our eyes on this good shepherd. It's a promise. His, pro- His presence is here with us even this morning. We can know the light of His Word being a lamp unto our feet. We can know freedom from fear, freedom from despair. You know, when darkness comes, it's two partners that come with it, a despair and fear, so often. But light has overcome the darkness. Therefore, when God's light comes into our life, fear and despair have to go. They have to go. But we need to keep our eyes on the shepherd. Keep our eyes on the source of this light and this life. Because ultimately, the promise of the resurrection is that life has overcome death. That is what Jesus proved. That is what Jesus, his perfect love that he demonstrated on the cross, cast out all fear fear of death itself. You know, mankind's greatest enemy has been done away with. The message of Easter, the message of the resurrection is that death is no longer the end. What a promise. What a promise. His light has overcome the darkness. His life has overcome death. Another one of Jesus's I am's. I am statements. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. There will be no more spiritual death, no more separation. Do you believe this? Jesus says in John 11. Do you believe this? Does this impact your day-to-day life? Jesus, you are my resurrection and my life. This is the eternal hope which we can have. That physical death is not the end. Yes, it is incredibly painful. The pain of separation is real. Very real. The loss and the grief that death still has for us. I don't think we we can overlook that. You know, Jesus, remember, wept. Even though he knew Lazarus was about to be raised from the dead, he still wept as he saw the grief and the pain that that separation had caused. He still wept. We were having a conversation last last week about this, and I, I don't think we deal with grief in the West very well. We try and push it on the sidelines, we try and push it under the carpet. Jesus wept at the news of his cousin being beheaded, John the Baptist. He immediately wanted to go away to a solitary place, just him and his father to process this. Even though he knew he was going to meet John the Baptist very soon, there was still the pain and the grief of separation. But death has lost its sting. Why? Because for those who are in Christ Jesus, this separation is temporal. It is temporal. We will be united once more. 1 Corinthians 15, 22, For in Christ, all will be made alive. In Christ, we have this eternal hope. Death has lost its sting because of the resurrection. You know, we also have this eternal hope for now. You know, if you remember, we, we did this series on joy. We can know this richness and this freedom and this joy on the inside. You know, one of, a, one of my favorite scriptures, particularly as I look in the mirror in the morning, you know, Paul says, do not despair even if our physical body is wearing away. <laughs> I've got to remember that. Don't despair because guess what? Our inner person is being renewed day by day. We're getting more and more glorified. We're getting more and more like Jesus. We're getting more and more shaped and transformed into his image. We have this eternal hope. We'll be getting resurrection bodies as well. I love that. We can know this richness on the inside, this hope on the inside. Our past is forgiven, our future is secure. What an amazing place to be. 1 Peter 1 3. Praise be. To the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, in his mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. This is a hope that gives life. It gives life. One more promise. Wonderful promise. Revelation 21, verse 4. One day, every tear will be wiped away. There will be no more death, no more separation, no more mourning, or crying, or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. What a promise. What a hope. His light has overcome the darkness. His life has overcome death. Thirdly, his love has overcome despair. His love has overcome despair. We see this right here with Mary at the tomb. Four times, John mentions Mary was crying. She was, she was in the grip of despair and grief. As we've already said, the pain of separation is very real. It's very real. Many of us will know that pain. The loss of a loved one. The separation... in a a broken relationship. Maybe even the despair of losing a job. That sense of grief, that sense of loss. Despair can suck the life out of you. It can send you spiraling down. and, And I think that's where Mary was at. And yet, something broke through the grief. Something broke through her tears. Jesus called her name. Jesus called her name, Mary. You know, he had been speaking to her, but until that point, she hadn't recognized who she was, who he was, sorry, until he called her name. And the beautiful truth of the gospel, this, this good news of Jesus, is that the reason for, for his overcoming of, of darkness and death was to bring us into a, an intimate relationship with the Father. That's the reason, because he longed for a loving relationship with us again. The sin that separated us had to be dealt with. And the reason was for, to bring us into unity with the Father again, into this intimate relationship with God. God knows your name. In fact, he knows an awful lot about you. Just read through some of the Psalms, some of the Scriptures again. That he knows every word in your mouth before it's even formed on your tongue. He knows every thought. He knows the number of hairs on your head. He knows you intimately. He knows your name. He knows your past. He sees your pain. He sees every tear. He hears every prayer. He knows you. He is not distant or removed from your situation. He's not. He is still the God who gets into your boat in the storm and sees you to the other side. He is still that God For Mary, at the sound of her name, despair turned to joy. She had started off in the grip of despair, fearful, full of grief. The mention of her name, despair turned to joy. You know, I love her immediate response as well. It's to embrace Jesus. It's to run up to him and give him a hug. You know, kind of contrasts to Thomas who Jesus had to encourage, come touch my wounds as he stood, you know, far off in doubt, not for Mary. She ran to embrace him. Jesus had to say, whoa, let go of me. I need to ascend to my father. You know, it, it points to a, a new shift in our relationship with Jesus because Jesus would soon not be with them in bodily form, but something better was coming. <laughs> He was going to send his holy spirit so that everyone wherever you are on the world in the world can experience this loving presence this strength that he is with me wherever i go we can know this life-giving presence even in the darkest of times we can know this love and joy and peace I think some of you today need to know that God knows your name. Maybe you are facing some difficult times. Maybe you are really going through it at the moment. Maybe you're going through despair like Mary. Maybe you've been struggling with depression. You know, that is not a quick fix. It's not an easy fix. But he calls you by name today. I mean, for some of you, you know that voice well. You've journeyed with him for a long time. And perhaps today is simply a reminder that he sees your pain. He sees your tears. He knows your despair. And he wants you to reach out to him again. He wants you to to receive his love afresh, to, to know this resurrection power is at work in you and through you, even in this situation that you're facing. In fact, his power is made more perfect in your weakness. This is the resurrection power of God. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is at work in your situation. He is with you in this journey and he will lead you through. But maybe you're here today and you have never experienced Personally, this amazing love for yourself. You know what? There's another promise in the Bible. It says, Whoever seeks will find, whoever knocks, the door will open to you. You have an opportunity this morning to experience what Mary experienced that Easter morning light breaking into your darkness. You can experience hope. Removing despair. You can experience real life. My prayer for you is that your eyes will be opened like Mary's were and see Jesus for who he truly is the resurrected Son of God and Savior of the world. I'm just going to finish there. We're going to have time for personal prayer just after we worship. Because I think we need to follow Mary's example and worship God together. But as I said, there will be time for personal prayer. If you feel that you are going through it, if you feel your life has been turned upside down, I pray for the resurrected power of God to come into your life.